I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, one and all, to episode 281 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and this is a continuation of the show that I recorded with Johan and Jeremy on the 8th of July. Again, we were advertising Dan Lorenzo, which we'll talk about throughout the episode, uh, but due to technical difficulties, that just never took place. So once again, if you're interested in this kind of banter, this kind of discussion and want to join me, I mentioned in the last episode, uh, you can do so by becoming a patron for as little as two bucks a month. Um, My patrons are great. Not a lot of them, but the few that are there are awesome. I, uh, you know, I can't thank them enough because they truly show up for pretty much everything that I do. And I greatly, greatly appreciate it. I say it all the time. You know, there's a million things that people can be listening to or people can be watching. And just the fact that even one person chooses to follow what I do is just beyond awesome. So um, what I want to do real quickly here is just thank my patrons Uh, I'm going to go here in the order in which people have signed up. We have Gene Eugene DX. We have my brother Art. We have Anthony Mackey in Ireland. We have Ed the Shred Ferguson. We have Johan in Sweden, who's featured in this episode. We have Metal Dan, who chimes in via the chat uh, as well. We have Jose in Connecticut. We have Chris Vaglio from the Chris and Amanda show. We have the Metal Dentist, Gabriel. We have Brad Dahl, Mr. Yarg Metal himself. Uh, if you don't know who Brad is, go back. Just search Yarg <laughs> on um, MarsAttacksRadio.com and you'll find all the great episodes that I do with, with Brad. Brad is great. I'm hoping to uh, do some more stuff with him once he retires. Uh, always some interesting banter. Just go back. <laughs> You'll see. Um, anyway, all right. So we have our Mike Jones. We have Mr. Jeremy Weltman, Mr. Patron's Pick, who is featured during this episode as well. We have Twisted Steve Hoker. And we have Mr. Steven Saylor. Yeah, I, I kind of read these out of order because Steven did sign up way back when, when I set this up so that it was... um. Once, uh, you know, that I would get paid per episode and then I switched it to once a month. And since he came back on board like a year later, he appears last. So that's why that happened. I, I meant I made a mental note that I ignored. But anyway, thank you to all you guys for your support. And thank you guys for listening once again. Uh, it does mean a lot. Um, just a quick rundown. I mean, with Patreon. You do get to be part of these episodes. You get my exclusive Victor M. Ruiz podcast where I talk about behind the scenes stories that I don't share here during the regular podcast. I also talk 
quite a bit more about news stories that stick out to me and give you uh, my comments regarding them. With these episodes, I'm kind of going with, you know, um, a lot of them are suggestions that the patrons are making. So that's another plus that you have as a patron. You can suggest different topics. You can suggest questions for guests. Uh, there's, like I said, it, it's a troll-free environment. We have the album of the week videos. We have new music videos daily from bands you love, from bands you've never heard of. And uh, we do a what are you listening to this week? What are you listening to or what are you into? Because it's listening or watching. We kind of share that stuff. And that's always cool to have that kind of discussion with people. And you get shouted out like you do here. And depending on the tier, you get a different uh, piece of merch. All depends on uh, what you fancy. So um, two bucks a month gets you in. And I know people have been saying, oh, why? You know, you're always doing the Patreon stuff. You know, it just seems like an infomercial. Um, I got to try to sell this. You listen to any other podcast, they, they do the same thing. and. You know, the more the merrier. Anyway, here we go. This is the second part of my discussion with Jeremy Nyoha. The other thing that people have been kind of going apeshit for is Vince Neal with the teleprompter. Uh, Vince obviously isn't the first person to use one. And, you know, I've seen people defend him. People go after him. Uh, Vince has never been Ronnie James Dio. Let's be honest here, because I have bootlegs from back in the Shout at the Devil tour. And... He was gasping for air and missing lyrics back then, too. So how much is the teleprompter actually helping him is, is, is what I'm trying to say. The teleprompter isn't singing for him. Um, I don't know. It's weird because he probably doesn't use that with his solo band. And he's singing a lot of the same songs. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's weird. Um uh, Rob, you're saying that uh, at least he's not using tape. Tape's just a lot of hee-haws in the songs. Um, Motley Crue is probably one of the first hard rock bands caught using tapes, actually, where they were uh, playing, I forget at what show, and the tapes didn't go off. They They have the choruses all triggered. So that it sounds like the albums, and then it was just Mick and Nikki singing and and Tommy with their natural vocals, and it sounded nowhere as good as the usual shows. So um, I, I don't know the, uh, the the whole teleprompter argument. I mean, we've talked about Rob Halford and how he just stands there and stares at the teleprompter. From what I've seen, at least uh, Vince is moving around from one part of the stage to the other. He's taking advantage of the fact that there's. 10 teleprompters on stage. Um, what, what do you think, Jeremy, about the whole teleprompter uh, thing? Yeah, I think I'm sort of in the same camp as you just there. I mean, when I saw Rob Halford 
do it. And I, you know, I wasn't sure that he was doing it because I couldn't see the teleprompter, but I kind of, I kind of assumed he was, which was many years ago. And he just had his head down through the whole show, just looking downwards. And this was after quite a break where Judas Priest hadn't been formed and he sort of got back in the band. And so I kind of then put two and two together, realizing that, you know, he hadn't done Judas Priest songs for a while. He was a lot older and he needed to read them. But I thought that that was a bit much because he wasn't looking up at the crowd, he wasn't interacting, and so I can see that that's a big problem. With with the Motley Crue side of it, and bear in mind I've also seen, I think I went to see Journey, Foreigner, and Styx, and I remember I was standing quite close to the stage but slightly round the corner because it was like the stage comes to an end and I was round the corner a bit, and I kind of looked back onto the stage and saw the prompter before the band came on and it was ready, you know, sort of with the first song. And so I could I could read the lyrics on it. And but I, you know, after after I saw it, I just didn't think anything of it because the band just played normally. So if a band plays normally and you can't see the teleprompter, mm. what's the problem? You know, it's not it's not like the band's re- uh, recorded the vocal. If the vocalist right. is singing the song, I don't see there's a big problem at all. And if you know Let's face it, we all forget lyrics. You know, if I was to sing a lot of songs all in one night, I'd forget some lyrics, surely. Um, so rather than them standing there forgetting what they're saying, I'd rather that they, you know, they, they do it. But I was I was a bit miffed, really, when Bruce Dickinson mentioned this this week because he was taking the piss again about um, to Rob because he was saying, oh, you can say, you know, the teleprompter's got breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law all on it. And, but that's what comes up. You know, if you've got, if you've got all the lyrics for the whole song, it's going to come up with that. It's not that Rob needs that bit of the song. He needs the rest of the song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bruce often has diary of the mouth. I mean, (laughs) that's my whole thing with, you know, with with Book of Stools, is, is that they, for years they bitched about bands cutting and pasting solos and different things, and oh, we've never done that. We've never done that. So you're telling me that Empire of the Clouds, that heard that's 18 minutes long that he wrote, you're telling me that was done in one take and wasn't, you know, that the piano isn't separate from the orchestration and from what little mm. actual work that other members of the band did i mean it's dumb Uh, he's historically said that you could never play keyboards in in a metal song uh that that would never work and lo and behold he's been eating crow for that for years because obviously bands who started doing industrial metal stuff like uh ramstein and stuff like that have obviously been able to do that kind of stuff so you know um Let's see here. Um, oh, how about Dave Mustaine going off on the Judas Priest crew? That was here in Spain. Mm. Um, that actually happened with D. Snyder at Vakken years ago as well. Because, I mean, all right, so let's be honest. They're playing, and then you have, whether it's Priest or not, the crew guy should be waiting until Megadeth is done to do the sound check. He shouldn't be, you know, playing guitar. He shouldn't be playing the guitar or the drums um, while they're still on stage because both stages are close together, you know, and the reason that they do that is so fans don't have to 
do like uh, at other festivals that I've been to where stage one is one place and the other stage is, you know, half a kilometer away in another direction. So they purposely set both stages up next to each other. So regardless where you stand, you have a good view. So if Megadeth is on stage and they hear, you know, and someone else is playing guitar over their playing, I mean, I would, I would get why he's pissed. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, I, I, just, just to quickly come in on that, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, they, these people are artists. They're getting paid a lot of money as well to play and perform. And somebody like Dave, you know, the, his songs are very intricate. Right. I mean, how, how can you listen to something else in the background? You're just about to start up one of your, you know, uh, quite complicated tracks that you need to play, you know, and, and hear properly. I mean, it's just, you know, I can understand it fully. Yeah, you're you're listening to Holy War and then you're hearing some guy just cranking an A chord all the time, you know, and it just, if you're on that side yeah. of the stage, you're like, what the hell's going on? I get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um... Uh, Billy Elam is saying, I agree with Jeremy, the promoter, the, excuse me, the prompter is a bit of a crutch, but I don't want to see, see an artist fall down if it's preventable. Yeah. I mean, I agreed, you know, it it also comes down to the argument that we've been saying, like with the show versus going to see a show versus seeing a concert. Uh, I get it. A lot of kiss is pre-recorded now. Def Leppard has been for years. Um, but are you paying to see the spectacle of the show and the experience? Or are you paying to see a concert where it doesn't matter? You know, there are some bands where you can see like a um, like the helicopters, let's say. You go to see them live. You're not going to see them because of, you know, their stage the pyrotechnics, stuff like that. You're just seeing them play their brand of rock. And if they're off or if it isn't perfect, well, then whatever. You know, it's part of their concert. But if you're going to go see Kiss or Motley Crue or Def Leppard or Metallica, you're expecting to see a certain amount of show. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of on, on the fence with, with some of this stuff. Um, Johan, what's what's your opinion on the teleprompters and bands uh, seeing a band if they have music that's been recorded? <laughs> well, teleprompters, I don't have a problem with. Uh, bands being uh, using tapes in the background. Well, nowadays, it's hard to find a band who doesn't have a tape right. in the background. Uh, and if they do it nice and good, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, right. It would be better if they, did, they didn't, but then you have to see Toto every time. Toto doesn't <laughs> use. Yeah. Right. Because those are very yeah. proficient musicians. But, yes. but for example, I saw, I yeah, saw Flames and they had gotten their keyboards stolen. So they couldn't play a lot of their normal songs because they didn't have the keyboards with all of their uh, various things that are usually triggered by the keyboard during the songs to play. So they had to change their set. So it isn't as if they have tapes. They have samples of different parts of their songs loaded that get played throughout their performance. And bands have been doing this for years. Iron Maiden with um, 
can I play with uh, Madness? Behind the stage, they have a guy playing those synth parts on a keyboard. Mm. It's mm. it's uh, Steve Harris's uh, bass tech. So even bands that are trying to you know play off that they don't have that stuff, they have additional musicians behind the scenes. I think more and more as time goes by, it, we've become accustomed to seeing bands with three guitarists on stage with a keyboard player that never had a keyboard player in the past. You know, I, I think of the cult has two guitarists. Uh, Green day has two guitarists. Bad religion has three guitarists. You know, there's so many bands that we're accustomed to seeing with one guy up on stage. And it turns out because they layered so many guitars during the recordings that now in concert, they want it to sound more like the records. Hmm. So they have two, three guys playing those parts so that the song sounds perfect. And again, Iron Maiden, three guys. And who knows if Yannick is really uh, uh, turned on during all the songs with his dancing. So, (laughs) I mean, even at uh, a thought of it uh, at Sweet Rock this year, um, Eclipse, Swedish band, they had an excellent band, but they have smaller parts that are pre-recorded. Yeah. I mean, the chorus sounds perfect Perfect, every time. Uh, Nightwish, of course, loads of tapes. So, but again, it's it sounds good. In you know, right. when you com- when you combine it with the the other stuff. So, I think I'm good with it. If you, if not, go and see other bands like Steven Wilson and Toto, and you know. Right. The bands yeah. that use that, that, that they don't use that, but yeah, you well, know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. There's the, there's the case a few months ago with a Swedish band called Santa Cruz, who the singer got caught where he wasn't even singing and the words were coming out, and he he said that he had done that on purpose to stir things up and draw attention. And then later on, he came out and he said, "Well, you know, it's not my vocal parts because I have." He, he has his vocal parts recorded one octave lower and two octaves higher. And that's what people were hearing. And his actual vocal parts were not pre-recorded. And I'm thinking, what the hell is he talking about? That's still two parts that he sung previously that are being played throughout every song. And he's just filling the middle out. So I don't know. Mm. Um, at, it- at the end of the day, so much of music is smoke and mirrors. So at the end, if they're entertaining you, I, I think that's all you got to ask for. But I don't know. Uh, Jeremy, go ahead. I cut you off. No, was, I was just going to say it's only the same as when you listen to a record. I mean, when you listen to a record, you're not listening to the band as they're playing it in the studio. You're listening right. to the final products of something that's been mixed and produced and mixed again and changed and, and various volumes are adjusted. And they do it because they want to produce something that sounds fantastic at the end of it. And so right. when you go and see a live show, okay, you know, you could sit in a room with with a band and they might play an acoustic set for you and it's live and that sounds great but you know if you're going out to a show you you want to hear something that's the best that can be recorded or produced on that night uh in a, in that particular room you know which might have different acoustics to the previous room that they've been playing in and so at the end of the day you just want to hear something that sounds great 
Um, and I think that we all accept now that things are not, you know, exactly uh, pure in terms of musicians just playing their instruments, you know, in a room. Um, because that's where you get in the sound check, and the sound check sounds nothing like the finished product when you're standing there with all the crowd and you know they're coming on stage. Yeah, well, that's the thing with with live albums. We did the live album special a few months back. Mm. Think about some of these classic live albums that we all listen to and love, and how they sound nothing like the original albums where. I think at some point in the 90s, for the most part, live albums sounded almost identical to the studio albums. So it kind of defeated the purpose of getting getting a live album. I remember hearing uh, Steve Harris complain that he didn't like Live After Death because they played the songs too fast. And I'm thinking, I love that because they sound alive. They sound vibrant. It makes you feel mm. like you're there at the show. If I want it to sound exactly like the studio album, well, then I just pull the studio album out, especially at home, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I think at the end, the, the live album has become a lost art form because of that. But um, there was another thing that came out this week that was kind of interesting. I don't know if you guys saw the uh, article or not. On Rolling Stone, there was um, an article posted about a uh, Van Halen superfan who was a, a former writer for Rolling Stone who is an analyst for a health insurance company who came across Eddie Van Halen's email address and decided to write him to see if it was actually Eddie Van Halen. And it turns out that he's saying that he corresponded with Eddie for five years until he passed away. And the Van Halen camp hasn't confirmed it. Wolfie hasn't confirmed it. Uh, the other thing that's kind of makes things kind of spe uh, skeptical is that the one time that he did meet Eddie, he didn't get a picture with Eddie or anything like that to kind of prove that there was this kind of interaction. But mm. um I don't know. Have you guys seen this story at all or read it? Yeah, I, I did actually hear that story or read it um, just earlier on today. Yeah, just briefly. Um, okay. And I, you know, I was a little bit skeptical because of you know the same sort of same as you. There was no real evidence of it. Uh, on the other on the other hand, I thought, well, why why would someone want to produce that sort of article or, or, you know, story about himself, maybe because, you know, he's just a bit of a narcissist or someone who just wants to, you know, um, talk himself up and because it, it's Van Halen. And of course, it, the, the guy's now passed away. So, you know, he, he can't, he can't speak for himself. So we've got right. no way of proving it. Um, on, on the one hand, of course, um, you know, it, it might sort of just prove that, you know, these rock stars are just people like we are. And, you know, if you, if you decide to email them about something that, you know, they might just bite and come back at you and say, Oh, hi, you know, yeah, it's me <laughs> because I'm a normal person. <laughs> right. Um, it, it's interesting that he, you know, the things that he did to try to get his attention was not to like super fanboy with him. And then he, um, 
he seemed to get a response because of that. And part of the gist of the story was that um, because he wasn't kissing Eddie's ass and because he was kind of being confrontational at the beginning, Eddie kind of responded. And it was one of these things where, you know, like he said, in the press, they're not allowed to say what they really feel because it would stir up too much shit. And, um, and, 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 you know, it was, um, I don't know, kind of weird. So yeah. Bill Bill Elam is saying, I read that last night. Eddie's responses were way too detailed for correspondence and correspondence with someone he didn't know. You know, that's, that's another interesting point because at first I was like, why would he bother with this guy? But who knows? Maybe it's one of those things where he doesn't have that type of relationship with anyone. So he was like, okay, well, I can kind of, you know, spill the beans and and kind of decompress by venting to somebody. But at the same time, I have to think that Eddie's been to like a million and one psychologists or psychiatrists over the year, one or the other. And I'm assuming that he had that outlet as well. Why, why would he? I don't know, there, there's a lot of things that if true would be cool, but just leave you kind of skeptical. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be a bit skeptical, I guess. I mean, uh, the one thing, if you were just, if you were trying to um, get in touch with someone who's ultra famous is, is you just don't discuss anything to do with their, their life as a famous person, because um, I mean, I I was queuing up once for, to get the autographs for um, uh, KK Downing and Ross, the boss. Uh, so uh, I could see everybody in the queue. They were they were you know mentioning the the music and you know oh it's great to meet you it's great to meet you you're, you know you're great you're great etc. Mm-hmm. And you could see the faces because there, there was this enormous queue of hundreds of people and they were getting bored of just signing autographs. Uh, so as soon as I got up to Ross the boss, I just mm-hmm. said to him, "Hey, this is this is tiring, isn't it?" And he looked at me and he went, "Yeah, I'm really tired." And so I immediately, you know, got his attention because I just said something that I would say to to you, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That, that That's the thing. At the end of the day, like you just said, the, these guys are all people. And sometimes, you know, after after just sitting there answering the same questions all day or being told that they're great all day, it's one of these things where, you know, in the case of Ross or in the case of KK, where, KK is probably thinking about playing golf more so mm. than than he cares about hearing how great he is, you know. So good, yeah, Johan. yeah, yeah. I'm curious, uh, Jeremy. Was that the same cue to KK yes. and Ross the boss? Yeah, because KK was actually playing in Ross's band that day. It was at Bloodstock. You know, when um, KK sort of came out of retirement, yeah, uh, he, he played a couple of couple of pre-songs with Ross the Boss's band at Bloodstock Festival a few years back. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Aha. Yeah, so they did the signing session after they'd done the show. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Two guitarists that I love very much. Yeah, it was it was good. It was great to see KK, you know, get a 
um, playing again, really, you know, after he'd been out for so long. He looked a little bit nervous for the first track, but then uh, the second one was was quite good. And, uh, yeah, it was good. Wow. Ross the Boss made uh, perhaps one of the, in my opinion, the best performances at the Sweden Rock this year. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, actually, he, he played uh, a whole set of uh, his old Manowar songs. Right. Uh, where with the bassist from um, Gamma Ray and the singer, I don't know, I think he's from his band, but he was excellent. Uh, and then Snowy Shaw came on. He was the singer of uh, Therion and drummer right. of King Diamond. Uh, and an excellent, excellent set, I really must say. Uh, you know, to hear Sign of the Hammer and uh, The Oath, you know, those old songs were great. He was perhaps the most f- fun gig at Sweden Rock. When, we, when they started to play, it was around, you know, 50 people. And when they finished, there were, I don't know how many thousands there were behind me. So... Mm-hmm. Very good, very, very good. And Rostoboss kept smiling the whole gig. <laughs> it was the opposite of Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's... I have one. Hmm. Go, go ahead, Jeremy. No, it's only, I was just going to add, I've got one of his plectrums. He gave me a, one of his Ross the Boss plectrums, which, cool. kept, which was quite nice, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, um, well, I'll, I'll I'll let the cat out of the bag with this one. Um, one of the uh, albums of the week for uh, Patreon will be uh, one of Ross the Boss's recent solo albums. So it's one of the coolest solo albums that I have. Uh, it was one of these things where I know Jeremy uh, uh, says that I'm nuts for not opening vinyl when I first receive it, but after receiving the ghost <laughs> album, all scratched up. Um, I have been doing that. And um, so this is one of the ones I hadn't opened. It wasn't the last solo album. It was the one before. And uh, it's got, it's a white and red splatter, which is just ridiculously cool. It's really neat. So I think you guys will enjoy it. Yeah. I look forward to it. seeing that one. Yeah. Um, with Guns N' Roses, uh, I wanted to bring this up if you were here, uh, Johan. So it turns out that Axel Rose is saying that he's been sick, that his voice hasn't been good, that they've brought a doctor out on tour, that he's also brought a uh, vocal coach out on tour as well, and that he's trying to do the best that he can to um, not cancel shows and try to improve at the same time. Uh, hearing that, does that kind of excuse what you guys saw uh, at Sweden Rock? That you know he, or, or would you prefer him to have canceled the show? I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, they sold a lot of one-day tickets that night. Right. Uh, and they went on and half an hour late uh, and now yeah, he didn't sing good. And, you know, every song was extended with a extra solo. Uh, there was no energy in the show, in the show. It was, um, 
I don't know. It was sleepy. It was. <laughs> as I as, as I wrote in the Patreon pages, uh, you know, after half the show, I mean, it was. I don't know. A few thousand people left on right. the grounds to see the band, uh, and to be honest, it was one of the worst shows I've ever seen at Sweden Rock right. uh, by a, such a professional band. I mean, <laughs> Duff and Slash were doing the thing, but as they, they were as they weren't there, they just played. Right. So during yeah. knocking on heaven's door, I went home, <laughs> went to bed. That, that's very that's, sad that's, to see. And they got the most shitty, shittiest reviews uh, that I ever have ever seen in the Swedish biggest newspaper. And it was, you know, not even a review. It was just a, a line like that, like this, you know, it's nothing. Right. So that was sad. It, it was a sad day for our kind of music. Uh, it could have been, on the other hand, you know, it could have been good. But, yeah. Uh, no. um, Rob is saying that he doesn't blame you, Johan. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. If his voice is bad, Duff has always sung songs in that band. Duff mm. sung lead for his band Loaded. You know, you, you all right, so maybe Duff normally sings one song a night, but instead of doing extended versions, have Duff sing three or four songs. You know, yeah. if that's the excuse that you need to have Axel resting, well, then do that. You know, or, you know, in England, they brought Carrie Underwood out to uh, to duet with Axel. You know, you're telling me that they can't do that. They can't bring, like, guests out to do certain songs. Uh, they've been doing Back in Black. Fly Brian Johnson out and do have Brian Johnson do Back in Black with the band. Kind of like what what they were doing with uh, Axel and and Slash. Or even Angus actually um, showed up at one of the Guns N' Roses shows when, when Axel was was in the band and doing stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of different things that they can do to really make it special and try to cut back on Axel singing and... I don't know. I, I do think it's interesting that he's come out and said, hey, you know, I have a problem I'm doing the best that I can, um, you know, where others probably wouldn't do that. So, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I do think that that is definitely, you know, I think that's something courageous to an extent is very brave for doing that because a lot of people would come up with other excuses or even going back to what we said, they would just use tapes instead. But he wants to still deliver. They're still doing three-hour shows. <laughs> yeah, I think we were unlucky because I saw some uh, footage from, uh, I think it was Oslo, and they were, yeah, they sounded better. So I think mm -hmm. we were a bit unlucky. Yeah, and they started half an hour late, uh, and they, the show should have started at midnight, and they started, yeah, a half an hour after midnight, so... Not the best time to to be late. The last day at the festival. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah. understand. You're very tired by that time. So, yeah. any anyone that's extending that 
festival more than what you expected. It's it's not easy. <laughs> no, but it was a great festival, except from Guns N' Roses. There you go. Um, strange you have um, they come on so late over there because here in the UK, you know, we have a curfew really, and most bands, you know, the headliners uh, say at festivals are all on at half past nine, and they're they're off at uh, eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's, uh, you know, maybe half 11 at the most, but and there's certainly uh, curfews in all the cities, you know, so that most of the shows are finished by 11 p.m. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know how it, how it is in Britain, but uh, in here we have, a, it's very, uh, we have daylight very late. Mm. So I think that's one of the reasons that they start late here. Because it's during Sweden Rock, you know, it's it's only dark for a few hours at night. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Jeremy, you had light out at um, ten o'clock your time, ten something, yeah. eleven o'clock my time. But farther up, I'm, I'm assuming that Johan probably had light in the last hour still. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, we don't have light that late, but, uh, the headliner goes on well after midnight kiss just did the Barcelona rock fest and they went out. No, not after midnight. I'm sorry. Cause Judas priest played from nine 30 to 11 30 and kiss played from 11 30 to quarter to two in the morning. And there was still, I forget what band came on after them that played for another hour. So that's Spain. That's Spain. <laughs> that's that's why Biff Byford said after the last time that I saw a Kiss here in Spain, and Saxon came on stage at quarter to four in the morning. Biff Byford said, "Only in Spain can we come on at three forty-five in the morning." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Kiss started playing at well past 1 a.m. at that time, if I remember correctly. Dio didn't, which came on before Kiss, started at like quarter to 12 at at night. So, and both bands did, both bands played over two hours. So. You try you try playing a Saxon concert over here. I mean, you've, the average age of a Saxon fan now is about 62. And, uh, you know, they're, they're used to, they're usually sitting in front of the fire at 7 p.m. with their slippers on and a cup of tea. So uh, there's no way you could play beyond midnight. <laughs> well, I think you get a good mix over here uh, between those 60-something-year-olds and younger people that do want to go to the shows as well. So it's 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 a good mix. Um they're they're equally inebriated by the time Saxon comes on. So, yeah, <laughs> that's a a friend of mine who wanted me to go um, to a festival where Life of Agony was playing. We've been saying for years we want to see them live, and I couldn't make the festival. And I I told him I said, hey, so so how were they? He goes, I don't know. I he said I think they were great. I had too many beers in me by that time. So. <laughs> And we're, we're talking about a surgeon. So, uh, you know. 
It was great. But uh, so in a few minutes, we're expecting Dan Lorenzo to hop on in here. Um, for those that are checking this part of the show out, we usually do this from. Um, so it's, uh, let's see, 11 p.m. my time, which is 4 p.m. Well, 11 p.m. my time, 10 my time and Johan's time, 10 p.m. Um, Jeremy's time. Correct, Jeremy? Am I, am I saying that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so that is uh, 5 p.m. on the East Coast. And the first hour will be me chatting things up with uh, some patrons who decide to join. And uh, today we've done an, an extended episode of this because of the uh, different interview time uh, than usual. We do have Dan Lorenzo coming up in a few minutes. And um, the podcast will be split up into two pieces. So it'll be the first 90 minutes with Johan and Jeremy and then the interview with uh, Dan. So... Um, yeah, it's it's been interesting uh, switching things up like this. I think that this will work better than Fireside because more people will be able to join. And uh, also a lot of people told me, well, I don't get to see um, the other people that are commenting on Fireside. So with this, we can see you guys. We can hear you. And uh, again, it's another reason to become a patron is to be able to join us uh, for this first hour here, 90 minutes today, actually and be able to throw questions around and just uh, talk a lot of different music, which is what we all love to do. And uh, it's always fun to speak to Jeremy and Johan, and um, we'll have you guys hang out for a few more minutes until uh, Dan does join us. Any other uh, topics that come to mind that you guys want to discuss uh, before wrapping things up? Um. New, New Dead Daisy single came out as well. Um, I know you're not a big fan, but uh, I thought it was okay. You know, it was enjoyable. Um, usual sort of stuff you, you expect from them. Um, Glenn Hughes singing, so it sounds like his sort of solo stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they've released a couple now. They've got a new album coming out, and I think they're going on a tour in the U.S. during the, I call it the autumn, you call it the fall. Um <laughs> Yeah, so you know, I mean, I, I like I like the Dead Days. I think they're pretty good, but um, they appeal to a certain audience. I think. How long? How long does Glenn stay in the band? Because well, that's a question. Yeah, how long does Glenn keep playing? That's that's how the wider Glenn question. Keep playing, <laughs> and and maybe Dead Daisies is paying the bills. Let's be honest, and maybe that's that's the thing. Until he hmm. decides to quit, maybe he'll continue there. Um, yeah. The, the Dead Daisies is definitely like one of these things where you could do um, a lottery, you know, or, or like one of these things where people pick a pool is what I'm looking for. Uh, we'll put together a pool to see which member of the band is replaced next. <laughs> within the Dead Daisies, <laughs> yeah. you know? they've, they've always had that revolving door with them outside of David Lowy, who is the main guy in that band. Um, I meant to actually bring this up before Doug Aldridge has been in that band for a few years. Mm. Uh, going back to the Dio stuff, you know, Johan mentioned that he was a big fan until dream evil. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting for me because 
I do think that outside of the two albums that Tracy G did and the one album that Doug Aldridge did, I, I wasn't really a fan of any of the other stuff outside of that period up until Dream Evil. A lot of that Craig Goldie stuff just really bored me. You know, I know that there are a lot of Craig Goldie fans out there, but I don't know. He just never kind of did it for me. He was okay on Dream Evil. But then after that, like some of these other albums, the I need a I need a fiery guitar solo for Dio. I need a, a a guitarist who really sticks out. And I think Craig is a good player, but I don't think he's one of those guys that just reaches out and just does one of these big extravagant solos. And you're like, wow, that was that was cool, you know. So. Is Johan, is that why you kind of lost track with Dio is because the music just wasn't as good or the the playing just didn't catch your attention? I lost track because the album after Dream Evil. Uh, can you remember? There was this young Irish man who played the guitar. Oh, Rowan uh, Robertson. Yeah, Lock uh, Up the Wolves. Uh, yeah, that wasn't a, a really good album. So... And the times, you know, the times were changing and Dio wasn't a thing anymore. So I guess that's why. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think he's yeah. Go ahead, Jeremy. I was just going to say, I just think he really struggled, Dio, because he produced two or three amazing albums right at the start. And mm-hmm. so, you know, really he peaks um, very early with those albums. I mean, we all agree that you know, Holy Diver, The Last in Line, that um, Sacred Heart, they're all, you know, they're all amazing stuff. And then, you know, you're always going to compare yourself against that period. And so it's always going to be tricky, really, to produce something. I don't think he ever produced anything as commercial um, as those sort of albums, you know, with the with the catchy choruses and the the hooks that, that, that are on those songs. Um, right. You know, there's some tremendous songs on there. I was, I was listening to... Um, last in line today actually in the car and it's just a you know it's such a great album mm-hmm. i mean you're singing along to the songs it's um you know they're so memorable that you you know you're singing along to them as you as you go past each one so mm-hmm. it's always going to be tricky with the with the later stuff and i think he faded away and i didn't you know i didn't like a lot of the the newer stuff that he produced at all really yeah to to me for example um he, for example, when he went back to Black Sabbath, did The Humanizer, which obviously I've said millions of times that I love that album. When he went back to do his solo stuff with Tracy G, to me, it was a continuation of what he did on Dehumanizer, where it was heavy down tune stuff, really in the vein of Sabbath. He had Vinnie Apice there as well. He had Jeff Pilson in the band on bass. But Tracy G added like a certain, and I know a lot of people didn't like his playing because he added pitch harmonics with Zach Wilde was known for. He added a lot of like um, whammy bar stuff that, um, that he was known for. And um, I think that a lot of people just, uh, you know, just didn't, didn't get it. They were, they were, they wanted, you know, um, last in line in Holy Diver part two. And, you know, Jimmy Bain wasn't there. 
and Tracy G is a completely different guitarist to Vivian Campbell. But even still, I do think that, in my opinion, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Um, Focus on Metal did a whole series on the Strange Highways album, which is fantastic. Talking to pretty much everyone who worked on the album except for Dio himself. Talking to Craig Goldie, talking to Vinny Apice, talking to... I believe it's Mike Frazier who produced the album and, you know, so on and so forth. So I think a lot of people like that album, but after that, I think a lot of people kind of lost track. Do you guys like the album that Doug Aldridge played on killing the dragon? I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of it. Um, As I say, again, to me, I'm always comparing against the early albums. And if it, if if it's even you know, five ten percent short it's it's an inferior product and i i can't get into it as much and i'm always listening to the early stuff so to me no uh you know okay now does your wife feel the same way about that album <laughs> no she completely disagrees with me <laughs> yeah anything doug does is perfect to her <laughs> uh does she like the song that he did with lady gaga I probably I've not I've I've never asked her specifically whether she um, you know on specific songs which one she likes by him. I've got a feeling sometimes she doesn't even realize he's actually playing music when she goes and watches him. <laughs> <laughs> so it's more of a visual thing than a musical thing. Is that what you're saying? Very much so. Yeah, yeah, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well. You're a good sport about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, looks like uh, we have Dan running late here. I'm going to shoot him an email in a few minutes. If uh, if he doesn't if he doesn't connect, then we'll wrap up the show. Uh, we've also got uh, Nikki Law, who's a PR uh, person who uh, does public relations for a lot of different bands. She worked with Metal Blade for years and worked for Century Media before that, where uh, I met her. She was kind of my boss um, for a site where I wrote for Century Media called Metal Army America. And that's how I actually got to meet her. And uh, she's always been great, um, regardless um uh, where she's worked. She's always been good at hooking me up with uh, with artists. So that should be, this is actually an interview, which is a long time coming because I've tried to have her on the show several times in the past because I've wanted to have, you know, a PR person on to talk to them about that side of the music industry. And especially with, um, uh, with her being, uh, you know, a woman in that side of the, the industry, you know, and unfortunately, most of the interviews that I do uh, are a sausage fest. It, it is usually just men. Uh, so having a woman on as well is also uh, great because, I mean, the last woman I had on was um, either Margarita from um, – damn it, Margarita Monet of um, – now I'm blanking on the, on the name of the band – Edge of Paradise – or um, the the uh, French woman from the death metal band that I interviewed at some point. Yeah, yeah. 
Also, you had Fury on. You had the the girls on. Obviously, oh, yeah, they weren't no. all girls. But... Okay, okay. So, so you're right. So yeah. that that was actually earlier this year. So that yeah. was that was the latest thing. Those, those interviews are always tough because it's four or five people at the same time trying to make sure that everyone gets enough space to um uh to to you know speak their mind, make sure that everyone doesn't speak over one another. You know, when we do the Patreon shows it's always uh, a challenge as well i think we've been pretty good so far with people not speaking over one another and um and doing that uh yeah rob unfortunately i've never had um uh tatiana from ginger on that was uh mark who got to speak to her he got to speak to her at heavy montreal actually so uh the fury interview was good yeah, it was really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, I I, th- I had I had a good time speaking to them. Yeah, and you they know. had a good time as well. It was a yeah, yeah. nice vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. See, my my biggest issue with with things like that, and it's funny because I heard um, uh, someone who's been around podcasting even before Mark was recently say that all artists want to have their interviews edited so that they sound better than what they actually sound. But, but I think that that kind of stuff loses sometimes with the interviews, it kind of loses the authenticity sometimes, you know, when we don't all speak perfect and cleaned up and, you know, we we all throw in certain words that, yeah, we know they're filler words, but, it's part of our speech as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if Dan. Yeah, I was just going to say I wouldn't. <laughs> See, now we're speaking over each other. Go ahead, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, we've just uh, we've just illustrated what we what we said we don't do. Uh, yeah, no, I was just going to say uh, I wonder if Dan's got the time wrong, and he's an hour. He's coming in in about three quarters of an hour at half past twelve my time, and. Half past one, your time. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm asking him if we need to uh, reschedule. Okay. Don't forget to tell him how much I like the new album. I will. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, he usually gets back to me real, real quick, so we'll see. No. So let's hear here. I'm seeing that Loudwire actually did a poll where they ranked Big Four's best albums ranked worst through first. Yeah, these guys are some fucking jokers. <laughs> Uh, let's see, uh, get out of here. All the anthrax are, are, are ranked towards the bottom. Yeah. Surely Lulu's at the bottom. No, no, it's, it's, uh, it's risk by Megadeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get out of here for all Kings and worship music are, are nowhere near as good as the Bush era of the band. That's a joke. 
Yeah. All right. Well, so things this, are good. Well, okay. So this is their top ten. At ten is Metallica's "Kill 'Em All." Nine is Slayer "South of Heaven." Eight is "Spreading the Disease" by Anthrax. Seven is "Peace Cells," but who's buying? Seasons in the Abyss by Slayer is six. Ride the Lightning is five. Among the Living is four. Rust in Peace is three. Rain and Blood is two. And Master of Puppets is one. Yeah, I don't agree mm. with this at all, personally. <laughs> I um, mean, there, there, there are some good albums, though, in that top ten, which you would you know rank in the top ten, I guess. Uh, personally, I, I think that Master of Puppets, this is just my opinion, is Metallica's most overhyped album. I, I think that out of the first four albums, I think Master of Puppets is the worst out of the four. And I know a lot of people think that it's a masterpiece, but I mm. would easily take Ride the Lightning and Justice for All and, and kill them all over Master of Puppets. That's that's my opinion. Uh, I like yeah, I like Ride the Lightning possibly as much as Master of Puppets, but I would definitely I, I wouldn't say definitely, but I would almost probably pick Master of Puppets as my favorite. Yeah. Um Johan, what do you think? <laughs> Those metallic albums. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. They're all 10 out of 10 albums uh, for me. So it's it's a matter of mood. Right, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but Unjustice for All is perhaps the one that's most closest to the heart. Okay. Because of my age when it was released and I yeah. saw them on that tour and yeah, yeah. And justice for all. Yeah. Um, do you guys think that rain and blood is the second best album by the big four bands? I mean, I, I me personally, I mean, I would, I would take those metallic albums over that. I would take Peace mm. Cells and Rust in Peace over that. I would take several Anthrax albums over it. I mean, I I yeah. get Slayer is popular, but three of their albums in the top ten. Um, there's three three metallic albums in the top ten. There's two Megadeth albums in the top 10. And there's two Anthrax albums. I mean, yeah, I, me personally, and I think Ed would, Ed would argue this because he's the big Slayer fan, but Rain and Blood, Seasons in the Abyss, and South of Heaven, all three being in, in 10 of, you know, Within the the ten best thra uh, albums of those four bands, yeah, I don't, I don't agree to that. No, 
I, no, I, I don't. I don't either. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a massive Slayer fan, really. I mean, I, I sort of have listened to their stuff. I'm not I'm not keen on it. I'm not someone who collects Slayer. Not someone who would go out and see them live. So you know, you, you're asking the wrong person because I probably wouldn't put them in the top twenty any of their albums. But I can see that you know, um, I can see their importance to you know to the genre. Uh, I can appreciate that, but they're just not for me, really. And I would much prefer listening to Anthrax or Metallica and even Megadeth um, over the, over them. So, yeah, it seems a bit odd. Yeah, I I also don't think that the two albums that Anthrax has done with Joey since he's come back are better than any of the John Bush albums. Mm. I think the John Bush albums are all much better. Um, I don't agree that Dystopia should be ranked over them. I think Dystopia is a good album, but no way that it's better than Sound of White Noise. Give no break. Mm. <laughs> Not many albums are. Yeah, I, I would say that Sound of White Noise should be in that top 10. Absolutely. Yeah. Every day. Um. Yeah, I don't know. This is weird. Yeah, all, all of the Slayer albums are, are ranked towards the top. So yeah. that's just you love Slayer. Okay, so so you rank them all in the top half that um, you know. The 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 bottom all right, so it's a top top 47. The last 10 albums are Megadeth Risk, Anthrax Volume 8, which is one of my all-time favorite albums. Megadeth Super Collider, Anthrax Stomp 442, Megadeth The World Needs a Hero, Saint Anger, Metallica, Load by Metallica, State of Euphoria by Anthrax, and We've Come for You All by Anthrax. To me, that's a joke because We've Come for You All is one of Anthrax's best albums. Yes. Um... To me, whether I, I'm, I think load. All right, after the first four Metallica albums, to me, I think Death Magnetic could be thrown in there. I think Death mm. Magnetic is a great album. Yeah. Um, I think the production is what the biggest hangup is on that album. Um, I think if they would have combined load and reload and made a complete album, it's not thrash metallica it's a hard rock album by metallica Mm. i think you have to take the album for what it is and the the problem here is that a lot of people here we go the top all of slayer's albums are within the top 30 if you look at slayer on divine intervention they, they were tuning down they're using seven string guitars they were trying to appeal to the masses and do what everyone else was doing. But a lot of people don't want to say that you're telling me that the divine intervention, which was a a hot steaming turd is better than load. I don't agree with that. Why? Because one is, Oh, it's still thrash. And the other one isn't. So what Judas priest didn't release, you know, British steel with every album, you know, point of entry was different. Defenders of the Faith is different. Screaming for Vengeance is different. You know, Priest 
for better, for worse, evolved. You know, um, I, I don't know. I, I, th- I think that all of these polls are put together just to rile people up and get them to check this out. Oh, did you see what Ly- Loudwire wrote? You know, yeah. and that's that's the yeah. only yeah. reason they do it is is to just piss people off and get people to to click on the site. I got to start doing these types of polls and purposely doing them just to annoy people, you know, <laughs> mm. do, do, do a poll where Bruce Dickinson is listed 50th out of the top, uh, you know, uh, metal singers. Bruce Dickinson is 50. I would instantly <laughs> get millions of, of hits. You know, and at the end of the list, I would say, ha ha, made you look, you know, something like Ooh. that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, for, for real, you have like Rolling Stone doing these, um, you know, greatest guitarists of, of all time. And and it turns out that, you know, Eddie Van Halen isn't in like the top 25. You know, you have Jack White, who I like a lot of White Stripes, but. Jack White can't be number three on the list. You can't have Billy Joe Armstrong as number nine on the list. You know, when you have people that have like an Eddie Van Halen that are as important or more important than a Jimi Hendrix or, you know, an Eric Clapton or people like that. So, I mean, Eddie, I think a lot of people just think about the playing, but don't think about the fact that he was an engineer his amps are still being used by thousands of guitarists around the world. His pickups, his guitars, you know, there's so many things that he, you know, did for music that is outside of actually making music. So um, real quickly here in the uh, chat, you know, if, if, if Dan doesn't hop on before the top of the hour, we're going to end the show. Um, but, uh, let's see. So Rob is saying, yes, make a list with crazy nights being kisses. Number one album. Yeah. Wow. If you want to see uh, crazy, crazy people jump out of the woodworks, that would be, uh, something to do. Um, let's see here. Yeah. Rob is saying that he loves stomp four, four, two by anthrax. I think that's great. I bet you these dopes don't even know that Dimebag Daryl played on um, three of four John Bush era Anthrax albums. I guarantee if they realized that the people that wrote about them, they would instantly rank them a lot higher because to them, nothing is hotter than, than a dead rock star. So, um, anyway, uh, let's see. Rob is saying that, um, these, uh, that's a show we should do our favorites of these. Yeah, we did the, our favorite thrash bands last week. I mean, that's one of the things that I wanted to do, but just lack of time. Uh, what I wanted to do was after, um, voting on the best thrash bands, doing a a list with, or voting on, um, the number one bands, best albums. Uh, just doing the top five and seeing what would end up as people's choices. But uh, at the same time, I think I ask enough of people as is to uh, to do these lists. And I don't want to be pestering people with lists every week because at the end of the day, 
they'll probably get tired of that and say, get lost. So uh, I'm happy with doing it once a month. <laughs> Maybe something for down the road. We'll see. So um, anything else you guys want to uh, mention before wrapping up? No, um, I don't know. I I, it's a big football tournament now. Uh, European championships for uh, the, what do you call it? Women, ladies? What do you yeah, say? Yeah. Yeah. Women, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Spain's, best player, Spain's best player who won the golden ball last year is out. She uh, tore her uh, uh, in anterior cruciate ligament or however you say in her knee practicing this week. So, uh, mm. yeah, they were one of the favorites and by losing her that completely changes now, although they beat Finland today four one. So yeah, I saw the game. We'll see. Yeah. I, I, I missed out. They haven't, you know, they haven't been uh, advertising where the games are going to be shown. Maybe I'm just not watching the uh, right channels, but, uh, we'll see. Johan, are, are they talking about uh, Isak probably possibly moving to the uh, Premiership? What? Yeah, there's there's been rumors that he may move to. Um, uh, I think they were talking about uh, Tottenham possibly signing him. No, I haven't seen. There's a lot in the press now about. The European Championship. No, I haven't seen anything about Isaac. No. Yeah. Well, Spanish press loves to uh, make up a lot of uh, rumors during the off season so that they have something to talk about during the summer months. So uh, who knows? Maybe that's something that uh, that they just made up to uh, to to keep people interested in talking. But yeah. Um, yeah. And and at the end, looking at all the signings so far. Jeremy, uh, Holland seems to be the, the cheapest of the big signings at 60 million uh, euros. Yeah, I think, yeah, that might be a little bit sort of um, shrouded in mystery, the real fee, because I think there'll be some, some other parts of that, pay, you know, other payments that you're not hearing about. But having said that, obviously, you know, he, he looks very exciting prospect, Look, really looking forward to seeing him. Um, but also we've got this... Uh, Julian Alvarez as well, who, who looks um, amazing. So um, yeah, looking looking exciting. But obviously, we're, we're losing Sterling. Uh, Nathan Ake is also probably going on to Chelsea, and we've already lost Jesus. But you know, yeah. we've strengthened the team as well. So you know, they're going to be uh, they're going to be up there again. I think just who could beat us to to win the league this time. What do you think about the rumors of uh, Bernardo Silva coming to Barcelona? Yeah, well, that's been going on for a while because that was even the beginning of last season where we knew that he wanted to leave City and go back to either Spain or Portugal because he's got family out there and obviously it's a, you know going back home for him. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he stays because City yeah. will always look after him. They'll give him a lot of game time. So, mm -hmm. you know, he knows he's loved at City. It's just, a, it's just a personal thing for him. It's nothing to do with the club. 
Um, right. he, want, he wants to continue playing for City. If City were based in Spain or Portugal, he'd still be playing for them. Right. <laughs> so that's all it is. I mean, you know, I'd be very, very sad to lose him because he's such a quality player. But um, right. if he goes, he goes. Um, you know, what can you do? I mean, I was very sad when David Silva went. But, um, you know, right. after, after a, a few months of without him, you know, you suddenly get used to it. Hmm. Yeah, and he's been snake bitten with injuries with uh, with uh, Real Sociedad, which is also where uh, Isak plays as well. Um, the the thing there with Bernardo Silva is that he supposedly has an out clause that if he were able to play with Barcelona or I think I think he's got like three of the bigger teams listed. Um, that he's he's allowed out, and apparently he has a verbal agreement with Pep that if Barcelona can afford him, that he would be allowed to to leave uh, for that yeah. very reason. So yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll see. Well, yeah, we'll see. And you know, City have got a lot of good young players coming through as well. I mean, there's a there's a guy who's sort of just coming through called Cole Palmer. And I feel that he could be even bigger than Foden. He's going to be the next big star for City. So look out for him because he's he's good. Yeah, with Foden here, they're you know they're talking about how they're still waiting for him to reach the level that you know they were kind of selling him as someone that would be on the level of a Harry Kane. And. To me, I think it's interesting because they're kind of not the same type of player. And also, Kane plays for Tottenham, who kind of plays for Harry Kane. So it's kind of different where you have a player who everyone on the team is playing for you as opposed to being someone that's just another piece of the puzzle. I mean, obviously, with City, you could argue that uh, Kevin De Bruyne is the is the guy uh, now with Holland, he's going to be like one of the main focal pieces, but there's still a big team around him. So, I mean, it isn't as if those two guys are, are going to continuously just be that focal piece. So anyway, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that we've come to the end of today's show. I want to thank uh, both Jeremy and Johan for helping me fill in this uh you know this this slot here and um i want to thank everyone who was in the chat we had rob in the chat we had bill elam in the chat bill we still have to figure out when you're going to come on and guest host with me after winning trivia tuesday uh several times and um we had my brother check in as well and there's a few other uh, unknown soldiers that uh, also uh were were watching so uh Thanks to anyone who was here live tonight. Thanks to anyone who's checking out the replay, whether that's on YouTube or the podcast. So uh, thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next time right here on the Signals from Mars live stream brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcast. Go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to keep up with the podcast and the live stream. And that is it. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 